The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, it is my honor to welcome Mr. Dan Schlotteman. He is director of Making Change at Walmart. It's a campaign that is anchored within the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, and we're going to talk about living wage, unionized workers, and the growing gap between CEOs in this country and the working poor in particular. So, Mr. Schlotteman, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm curious to know how you became interested in organized labor. I mean, it started with, uh, you know, my family and sort of understanding from a young child of how important it was to have unions and how important it was to have jobs that people could raise their families on and send their kids to college and live the American dream and felt that that has been slipping away. And so why I began working with labor unions and became an organizer and am now leading one of the biggest campaigns of the labor movement, which is the Making Change at Walmart campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we must share similar roots because my father worked in a factory and he actually made enough for us to, for my mother to stay home and put dinner on the table. And I remember he lost his job in a factory when it moved at the time to Miami, Florida, where they could get cheap Hispanic labor. And now, with free trade agreements, I don't even know that that job would even exist in the United States. So I share similar roots in that I've witnessed blue-collar workers and what's happened to them over the course of several decades. So what do you think is contributing most to this widening gap between rich and poor? I mean, I think it's really, it's a question of power. I mean, I think the question of there's been a complete shift in power in our country where there used to be more balance between the power that everyday people had, whether it be they were members of unions, they were members of other organizations, and that balanced out the power of corporations. And we're sitting here today now where corporations use their vast wealth and power to distort our democracy, to circumvent laws, to in many ways function where the laws don't matter. I mean, look what's happened with our banking system. I mean, destroy our economy, get fine monies that don't even harm their bottom line. And it's like, you know, there's there's just a complete imbalance of power here. And that's translating into what's happening to everyday people where they can't afford to put food on their table, they're making tough choices between feeding their children and paying their rent or figuring out whether they can cover their health care costs. So it's it's uh, it's been a huge shift in power in the last couple of decades. Mm-hmm. How do you think that happened? How did we let that happen? I think in some ways, uh, you know, our economy shifted. You know, when we shifted from a manufacturing-based economy to a service-based economy, when our economy became more global, it allowed for the decimation of good middle-class jobs that have been the foundation of part of balancing our political system and balancing our economic system. And that globalization has had a detrimental impact on communities across our country. Mm -hmm. And we're we're living that today. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the inequality we see today is at proportions that hasn't happened in 100 years in our country. Mm-hmm. Well, I really wanted to interview you in particular because of your connection to the Walmart campaign, but I was also attracted to the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union because on your website you explain how you're really dedicated to the economic and social equality and justice within our functioning democracy, but also that you are a 1.3 million people strong union primarily working with grocery and retail stores, food processing and meatpacking industries, and together you are proud to put the food on America's table. So I think it's important for our listeners to know not only where our food comes from, but who are the people behind that system. So I am very glad to have you. Now, I have to tell you that there was an article in the AARP bulletin that attracted my attention. And What it was, was it was a question of how much bang for the buck. So just to give our listeners an idea of the disparity between the rich and poor, it says, okay, time is money. How long does someone have to work to buy a half gallon of milk today? And this isn't organic milk, I might add. So a minimum wage worker has to work 21 minutes if they're earning $7.25 per hour to, to earn that gallon of milk. A typical CEO only has to work 1.9 seconds. He is making, he or she is making $4,615.38 per hour. That is striking when we talk about, you know, we're working for a certain wage and we have to take that money that we bring home, not only to buy food, but as you mentioned very succinctly, that also has to take care of our drug needs, our medical costs. Heating, cooling, putting our children through school, buying new shoes. So tell me a little bit about why and how the Walmart campaign is working to to create a better, healthier living wage. Sure. Part of it is starts over the education part of it. I mean, I think when you look at the statistics you just talked about in terms of what a typical CEO is making now at Walmart, it's even worse. You know, the CEO of Walmart last year made a thousand times what an average Walmart worker made. And so the inequality that exists just in Walmart is that much more extreme. But then on top of it, you have the Waltons family who are the, the largest shareholders and uh, are the, the ones who are making decisions about this company. They have the wealth of $144 billion that their wealth just went up 25% in the last six months. And so it's just, again, it's an example of while all of us are still reeling from the 2008 crash, the 1% is doing better than ever. And so a lot of what we're doing is educating folks because, you know, if, if you listen to Walmart and why they can't pay higher wages, and if you listen to Walmart about why they can't be more of an employer like Costco or et cetera, they always say, well, we're here to defend the consumer. We're here because if we have to raise our costs and that's going to raise costs on the consumer, and then that's not fair to the consumer. The problem with their argument is is very simple. If Walmart can create six people, the Waltons, who have the wealth of $144 billion, they can certainly afford to pay their workers a living wage. They can certainly afford to provide their workers with health care without putting that cost on consumers. And that is a big part of what we're out there doing. That's why Walmart workers are striking. That's why Walmart workers... Are, there's a whole group of Walmart workers that did nonviolent civil disobedience just the last couple of weeks to tell their story. 
people are standing up in this company to say, this is not right. This has to change. And this is from our largest private employer. I mean, Walmart is the largest private employer in our country by fivefold. The next biggest is much, much smaller than Walmart with Walmart's 1.4 million. And so when we ask, like, why is this recovery not happening on Main Street? Part of it is related to the fact that our largest private employer is Walmart and it's part-time jobs. It's an average age of 881 an hour. It's people struggling to put food on their table every day. And so that is the biggest work of this campaign is working to change that. Mm-hmm. So you've been successful in not so much unionizing the Walmart workers, but certainly organizing them. And there was a Black Friday event where citizens in the communities joined your efforts. And was there a walkout or how did that Black Friday event work exactly? Yeah, so uh, Walmart workers were striking both in the days coming up to Black Friday and on Black Friday. They were striking because many of them had been illegally retaliated against by Walmart. Many of them had had their hours cut or were terminated or faced illegal disciplines because they were standing up and using their right to free speech and their right to demand and ask for a different Walmart. And then those strikes were supported by tens of thousands of community supporters in the streets and supported by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of supporters online. And the goal of that day was to tell shoppers, like, understand that this is Walmart and that they could be doing something different here. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of telling the story of what's happening at Walmart and using the day of Black Friday, it was an incredibly successful day. I mean, I think much of the conversation about Walmart in that window was not about their door busters or what their best sale was. It was, is Walmart a good employer? Should Walmart be doing what they're doing? Can Walmart be a different kind of employer in our country. And that's an important step in educating the public to learn and make decisions with about this company. And, and it's an important part of moving this campaign forward. Has there been any communication with Walmart shareholders? Yes. We were, Walmart workers were at Walmart's annual shareholder meeting in June, both a leader of, of the Walmart organizing, a woman by the name of Janet Sparks, and then another woman, Kalpona Actor from Bangladesh, both spoke to the entire shareholder meeting and really asked some very important and tough questions of the company. There were a number of shareholder resolutions on CEO pay and other things that went forward at the shareholder meetings. You've seen multiple European investment funds actually stop investing in Walmart and walking away from Walmart because of Walmart's treatment of their workforce. So the investment community has been incredibly active, and you've seen just a lot of, of activism there. The challenge, though, is is 50% of the company is owned by the Waltons, and so mm-hmm. shareholders have a limited voice as a result of the power that the Waltons have. So you're asking for a living wage. You're asking for health benefits. It would seem that another area that we would also be looking at is the profit margin. And there was an article looking at the difference between the profit margin that the Walmart owners get versus Costco. And Costco has a great reputation, right? They treat their employees well. They get a fairer wage. They have health benefits, as I understand. You probably know the comparison better than I. But it seems to me that that really what the issue here is is profit margin. And if Walmart would would agree to accept less, a little less, because they have so much already, they could provide so much more for their employees. Where are we with that position? 
it's actually, I mean, it's a huge part of it, but there would be ways for Walmart to actually transform and pay people better that wouldn't even have to impact their profit margins. Last year and the year before that, and again this year, Walmart had set aside $5 billion just to buy back shares, right? And so they are buying back their shares off of the market, which is increasing uh, the percentage of ownership that the Walton family has. But that's money that's coming off of their, their bottom line. Now, that $5 billion, if they would take $3 billion of that and commit that to making the minimum wage in Walmart $12 an hour or $13 an hour, that would pay for that. And that wouldn't impact their $17 billion in profit. That wouldn't even impact, you know, the dividends that all of the shareholders get, which the Walton family got $3 billion in dividends last year alone. So, again, if the Walton family would say, we're going to care about the people who have made us so wealthy and we're going to commit our dividends to pay for higher wages for Walmart workers, again, they could be paying, making the minimum wage in there $13 an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, the choices that this company is making is very simple, which is, they have only one concern only, which is we're going to run this business so that we don't care that our people are starving. We don't care that our people don't have a living wage, and we're going to maximize the, the amount of money that goes to the Waltons and into the, into the executives. And it really is a, a microcosm of our larger economy. It's like mm-hmm. what's happening at Walmart is exactly what's happening in our economy. There's mm-hmm. a small group of people that are benefiting greatly, and everybody else is, is struggling to get by. One other fact that just, I, I'm amazed. I mean, Walmart it was out there trying to defend themselves against, we've been saying that people should make $25,000 a year at Walmart. And so they've been putting these statistics out to try to defend themselves. And they said, if you take all their employees, which includes their CEO and Mike Duke and everybody else, that they said more than 400,000 of them, or like 420,000 made more than $25,000 last year. So they're openly talking about it, the fact that there are almost a million other employees who made less than $25,000 last year. Mm. It's just incredible. You know, and it's incredible that they act like we're a great company because out of the 1.4 million, we can point to a sliver of that that made more than 25000 I mean, think what it's like to live on less than $25,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. This is a shameful story, Dan. I just want to take a little break and remind our listeners that we are speaking with Mr. Dan Schlotteman. He is director of Making Change at Walmart. It is a campaign that is anchored in the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union. Well, Dan, I have to get back to this point of living in poverty and what that means for the taxpayer, because I think that sure. there's so much um, hostility, really, towards those who rely on government People may, may describe it as handouts, for example. I've heard that terminology. And I was working on a hunger task force many years ago, and one of the women on that task force shed a light for me, and she said, you know, really, when a, an employer does not pay a living wage, they are the ones who are really getting welfare because we supplement that inadequate income right. with food right. stamps and all of the other health care benefits that we as taxpayers pay out. So we are helping to pad the Walmart heirs bank accounts too, but we don't really see it that way. Right. Absolutely. Do you know how that works within Walmart? Chris, you, we hear stories about how when new hires come onto Walmart, they're told, here's where you go to get food stamps, here's the local food pantry. Have you heard? I mean, the, the, clear, the, the clearest example of it is, is there was a, a study that Representative Miller did 
Congressman Miller did. He's the head of the Health Committee. Just probably six months ago, and they looked at Wisconsin, and they looked at which companies were the largest users of all of the public assistance. So they looked at food stamps and state-provided health care and all of the different programs that were there to help to support folks, uh, to support the poor. And Walmart, of course, was the number one user of it. What they actually figured out was that a single Walmart supercenter in Wisconsin Average somewhere between 900000 and $1.2 million a year in taxpayer subsidies just because Walmart doesn't pay their employees enough. And so Walmart has over 3,000 super centers across the country. And so you can sort of assume that what they found in Wisconsin is similar everywhere else. The reason why they looked at Wisconsin is because Wisconsin as a state is the most transparent and you can actually get the data. Most other states, they don't provide the data. And so that's why they, they did this study based on the Wisconsin numbers. Wow. Yeah. We are paying for all of those cheap prices in so many ways. Yep. And that's the promise. We always hear, well, people want cheap prices, but we don't do enough full-cost accounting to see really how we're paying. And so the figure that you shared with just that single Walmart really paints a picture of how much, you know, what a large sucking sound that really is coming from the American taxpayer. No, and then, and then on top of that, you have, it's very common for Walmart to try to get support when they open a new store so that the city is paying for the infrastructure changes and the sewer systems. And, you know, there's all other kinds of subsidies that Walmart is very aggressive at trying to get communities to get when they open a store. So that that figure is even on top of the support that we're doing to support their low-wage model. Mm -hmm. Now, I also want to talk about an article that was posted on your blog just today, actually. It says, last week, Washington, D.C. Mayor Vincent Gray vetoed the Large Retailer Accountability Act, which would have required big-box retailers to pay $12.50 per hour minimum wage. I don't understand why the mayor vetoed that, except that Walmart threatened not to open three stores if the minimum wage ruling passed. What if they didn't open the three stores? So what? No, I mean, there would still be three stores paying a better, a higher wage than than not. And, you know, other retailers like Costco and others who are actively opening stores in and around Washington would, would benefit from getting those customers. It's the thing that, you know, is amazing about Walmart is it's, paints itself as a job creator and it paints itself as a solution for, for communities. But the reality of it is, is Walmart is the largest job transfer that's, ha- that's happened in the history of our country. Because every time Walmart opens up a store, they're putting other people out of business. And so it's not that Walmart is creating new jobs. It's that Walmart is a, it is a job transfer. And so just the same as if a Walmart doesn't open, there's going to be other people providing those services. This isn't like a manufacturing job that they can move overseas. The customers are here. The people are here. And so it's a great opportunity for other employers who want to function differently to fill in that spot. But unfortunately, the mayor bowed to pressure from corporations. Mm-hmm. So what can we as consumers do? You're not exactly recommending a boycott, are you? I mean, we, we do not call. We're not calling for a boycott. We haven't called for a boycott. Workers in the stores understand that they need the customers because they have to 
right? Because the way the system is is made in Walmart is they get a, a bonus system based on the sales, and so it would be that much harder for folks to who are already struggling to get by if they saw a big loss of customers. It could have a real impact. Mm. But consumers still have power with this company, and consumers still have a voice with this company. And consumers should be letting this company know that they want a different Walmart. Consumers should be joining us, joining this campaign. Consumers, because the reality of it is, is whether you shop at Walmart or you don't shop at Walmart, we're all consumers. We live in a, a society where consumer is king, and we need to start to put that role to use here by really demanding that employers like Walmart function differently than they currently are. And so our hope is is that consumers join the Making Change at Walmart campaign and come and join in on our campaigns to change this company. And if folks choose to shop elsewhere, that's great. If folks choose to shop at Walmart, make sure you go in there and you uh, make sure the store manager knows that you don't agree with their employment policies. Does the store manager really have that much power? I mean, the store managers have absolute power. I mean, Bentonville, the home office of the company has total power, but a store manager can make sure that workers in the store are getting enough hours. A store manager can make sure that people are getting the raises that they're due. A store manager can do a lot of things that can help make these jobs better. I mean, a big part of the way that Walmart takes advantage of people is it's not just the hourly wage, it's the amount of hours that people get. Mm -hmm. And so if you even if you're a Walmart worker and you happen to make $11 an hour, but you only get a handful of hours every week, you're still in extreme poverty. And so there's a huge amount of power and control that store managers have over the hours question that they control and they, they're able to uh, ensure that workers are getting full-time hours, which is often a, very, a rarity in Walmart. Now, where does Walmart stand on the Affordable Health Care Act? You know, I mean, Walmart came out during the debate and said there should be an employer mandate and supported the employer mandate and then ultimately, you know, have said the right things. But we're seeing a massive part-timing of their workforce. They're, they're clearly making the moves that many other employers are making to uh, minimize the impact of uh, the Affordable Care Act and and they're going to be, I'm, or, or look like they're positioning themselves to be very active in pushing people off you know, onto the states and onto the, uh, I'm blanking on the word right now. Um, the exchanges. Onto the exchanges, exactly. So, you know, you've watched in the last uh, the last three years that, you know, they've gone from having less and less full-time workers to more part-time workers to now that they've implemented that 10% of their workforce are going to be temporary. And so you see them positioning themselves to, uh, you know, really try to offload the healthcare burden that they, you know, which they've already done, but on, on a lot of levels, but even more as a result of ACA. Right. Only there's no safety net right now for those people who don't have the health care. Right. And for states, like right. I, I, this this program airs nationally, but it's based in Columbia, Missouri, which is where actually some of the Walmart heirs live. But in Missouri, our senator here has rejected expanding Medicaid. So we're really dealing with a shortfall of access to health care. I'm, I'm sure you look at, at these kinds of issues with, with employers and, and employees who are slipping through those safety nets, but where do you hope this moves? I mean, you know, the question of how we get to a health care system that works for our 
all of everybody in our country. I, I mean, I don't think we're quite on the path yet. Our hope is, is that ACA is a step in the right direction, but, you know, we really do need to think about a completely different system than our current system that is, you know, for providing health care because it's just not working. Let's hope ACA is, is a part of that solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, right now it's so tied up in the in the uh, just the, the partisan right. vitriol of our country right now that it's it's just hard to imagine what this is going to that this is going to really provide the kind of help that, you know, millions of people need. I mean, you know, there are most workers at Walmart can't afford the health care they currently provide. So the exchanges may very well be a, a benefit to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it becomes a challenging question because on one hand, you have this massively profitable employer who could be providing health care for folks if they chose to who yet again will probably benefit from additional taxpayer support by offloading their health care uh, liability onto, onto on, additionally on the taxpayers, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is unfortunate. Dan, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to make sure I give you a chance to let our listeners know anything you'd like about the change at Walmart campaign or the United Food and Commercial Workers in general. Great. The Making Change at Walmart campaign, we're about to come into a very exciting period of the campaign. Black Friday is a critical period for retailers. And, you know, we really believe that for retailers and Walmart to be able to have a holiday season that's focused on selling their doorbusters and et cetera, they have a responsibility to treat people right all year long. And so we really want people to join us on Black Friday. They become a part of the campaign to change Walmart and retailers in general. And so we'd hope that people would sign up and join the campaign. You can go to our website, changewalmart.org. Again, changewalmart.org, and they'll follow the links there to be able to join up and find out about actions that will be happening uh, nearby each person at a Walmart on Black Friday. And we're hoping to see as many folks out there as possible because we have to change our world's largest employer if we're really going to change the way this economy is functioning. Absolutely. Well, Dan, I want to thank you very much for being my guest today. And I want to, again, remind our listeners that we have been speaking with Dan Schlademan. He is the director of Making Change at Walmart. And I want to help people really understand that when wages are so low that people live in poverty, they suffer from hunger. And from a registered dietitian's perspective, hunger impacts not only how we feel, but how we we can be a productive citizen in the United States. So I want to commend you for this work with this campaign. Is there anything else about the United Food and Commercial Workers that we should know? Just that every day the United Food and Commercial Workers is out there fighting to uh, build better jobs and take care of uh, folks shopping uh, in grocery stores across the country. And, you know, we're the largest private union out there, private sector union that, you know, really believes that uh, we can have a relationship with the employers and and their employees and create a really great experience for customers. That is really what we're trying to do every day. And so next time you're in a supermarket, you're probably talking to a UFCW member. Wish them well. So. <laughs> That's great. 
That's really great. Listeners, we've been speaking with Mr. Dan Schlatterman. He's director of Making Change at Walmart campaign. It is a campaign that is anchored under the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union. Please go to the website, changewalmart.org, for more information. I want to also close by letting our listeners know that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hamelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Dan, thank you so much for sharing this information about your campaign and for all your work. 